Good morning, church. I'm so glad to be here. It's my favorite thing to do. It really is, is to be with you. Um, And I know it's probably your favorite, the news I'm about to give you, which is today is the second to last message in Leviticus. All right. Uh, Some of you might be a little sad. Hey, listen, we have learned so much. Actually, this morning, the content from the messages and me reading through the book of Leviticus uh, over a half dozen times almost got to fully seven um, it, it, throughout this series. Um, in doing so, it changed the way that I worship. Like when we talk about he who's seated on the throne, then I start to immediately think of the stuff that we've talked about, about the temple of God and about how they worshiped back then. It's been enlightening to me. Um, so I, I hope it's been a blessing to you. Um, today we're going to talk about the last two spring feasts that are in Leviticus chapter 23. Um, last week we looked at the feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And um, today when we look at these, we're going to finish out today talking about the springtime. And then next week we'll cover the rest of the chapter of 23 and then be finished. And that'll be talking about the fall festivals or feasts that they celebrated. Um, we have something to look forward to. That's, that's what I just told you a minute ago. We've got something to look forward to, amen? And so that should lighten the load in your life and give you some joy in your heart and help you experience that hope that this world is not all that there is. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God this world is not our home, that we're temporary residents here. We are aliens to this place, uh, but one day we'll all be home together, amen? So I'm really excited about that. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to start in chapter 23, verse 9 through 11. Verse 9 says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. The next verses, if you look up at me, the next verses tell us that they've got to bring a lamb. They've got to bring a drink offering, which in the Bible was wine poured out on the altar, okay? A drink offering, and also this grain offering was meant to be brought. This was the beginning of their harvest season. Their harvest is going to last for about 50 days, and the next time that we hear from them in the next few verses we'll read later on in the message is when they're celebrating, they're capping off the end of their harvest. They've got something to be thankful for. Back then with everybody living in an agricultural mindset, they had this understanding that God is the one who brings the rain or he might also be the one who allowed the drought. And so even regardless of how many crops they had or whatever, they would bring that and they would be thankful and express their gratitude to God. I'm going to stop and say this, no matter what you're facing in your life, you cannot lose gratitude in your heart because that will send you on a tailspin into a place of despair that you might not be able to get out of without some very supernatural strength and work from God and probably from others to help bring you out of the pit of despair as it's called in scripture. And I think the way that we get there is because we lose sight and we stop being thankful for what God has given us. Um, So the Israelites would take the very first sheaf 
I want you to see this picture with me. They had planted crops. They've got grain. Imagine a wheat field. They go in and before they touch any part of anything to take it for themselves and harvest, they go and they take a sickle and they cut out a giant round of of wheat and they tie that up and they bring that to the Lord. God deserves the best and he deserves the first. Amen? And so that's what scripture is telling us here. They weren't allowed to eat anything from the crop until they gave that initial portion to the Lord. Now, if you're a believer in this room and you hear me talking, you might be listening with spiritual ears and realize this applies to your money today. All right, this message is not about tithing, but I am just going to throw that out there that God blesses all the rest when we give him the best. When we give him the first, he will indeed bless all the rest. Now, I don't preach a prosperity gospel. I believe that's counter-biblical. God, God didn't die to set you free and give you a Mercedes, okay? But God wants to see you obey him. And when we obey him, I, I'm so proud. There are college students in this room today who have tithed throughout this summer, From their summer jobs, they have been giving to the house of the Lord here. They've been partnering with us for our heart for the house, which if you still have a pledge to make, keep doing that, keep being faithful to it so that we can bless our youth ministry and to develop that youth ministry. I'm thankful that we are in a house that truly believes this, but there's always that temptation that's knocking at the door to say, you know what? I could do so much more with 100% if I had management of it. The truth is, God in his word wants us to understand he gets the first and he always gets the best. Um, So faith is required. You got to understand this. Think about it. How many of you ever been on a farm? Just raise your hand. You've been on a farm. Okay. All right. You might not own one. Somebody owned one you visited. If in that agricultural mindset, their livelihood depended on the crop, you think it took some faith to cut out that big old sheath? and bring it into the, into the house of the Lord. It took some major faith to say, I don't know what the rest of the season is going to bring, but I'm going to give God his due. It's not faith if it's not first. Faith is required in order to give God the first of what we have in our life. And now that doesn't just have to do with money. That has to do with time. That has to do with gifting. I drove by the pharmacy this morning on the way to drop off something at CCA. And I saw on there, it said this week's scripture verse, 1 Peter 4, verse 8 to 10. And I thought, man, I got to look that up. I pulled into the parking lot and I looked it up on my phone and I was reminded, it says, everybody's got a gift. Everybody's been given something. So use your something for God's glory. Amen? I'm preaching this morning. This is good stuff. So you have to understand they would be offering the first fruits at a time when not much else was ready to be harvested. And they had to trust that God would provide the harvest that had not yet been seen. Man, I feel this this morning. We need to understand. We have to understand that blessings always follow our obedience They don't precede our obedience. You can see that in the life of raising kids. You can see that as a teenager, a college student, you can understand that. The blessing comes after you have obeyed. If you give the blessing before obedience, they might never follow through. So that's where the trouble comes in because human nature is like that. This is a principle of God's kingdom and it appears all throughout scripture that God deserves the best and he deserves the first. 
remember this about last week, the two feasts we talked about. We talked about Passover and we talked about unleavened bread. These things have been fulfilled by the death and burial of Jesus. The Bible tells us, and Paul says to the church at Corinth, that Jesus is our Passover lamb. He was buried like the matzah that the Jews have during their Passover Seder. They hide throughout the house, and he was resurrected, or he was found after those three days being in the grave. So now, let's think about the Feast of First Fruits in this way with this understanding. The Feast of First Fruits happens after the first Sabbath that followed Passover. I don't expect, and I will tell you again in case you're here for the first time today, that I am not a proponent of saying that you as a believer have to follow the Jewish feast days and holy days and all that stuff. I am just saying that God put them in his word and he had his people do them for thousands of years so that they could figure out a message. And we have the benefit of hindsight to be able to look at that and see the significance of a masterful work of art that God has been desiring to show the world since the beginning of time. In fact, you can hear about the desire that he has for salvation of mankind all the way back to his first covenant that he makes with Abraham. He says that every person, every nation on this earth will be blessed through you. God's got a plan. You've got to think about that. Listen to what Mark chapter 16, verse 1 and 2 says. It says this, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Well, we know that they find the tomb empty because Jesus has risen from the dead. He is no longer there. But listen to what Paul tells the believers in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 to 23. It says this, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That means dead, okay? Verse 21, for as by a man came death, this means Adam, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Christ's resurrection is actually a fulfillment of the feast of first fruits. He is the first fruit of redemption and reconciliation and resurrection that we can join in because he was the first. God got the first and he got the best. Jesus is the only one who could have satisfied the need in the principles of God to be able to say, I can now offer salvation to my people. So sin came by one man, but life, praise God, has come by one man, and his name is Jesus. He's the offering that God found acceptable, and he's the first fruits of a harvest. There's a harvest that's happening and has been happening since the days of Jesus, and that harvest is not of wheat. It's not of corn or soybeans or anything else. It's a harvest of souls and people. And so we, who are believers, are part of that harvest, but we also have more work to do. Once we've been harvested, he puts a sickle in our hand and gives us the tools to then be the light in the world to bring others into the same family, into the family of God. So with this in mind, 
it kind of brings a deeper significance when I think about what Luke chapter 10 verse 2 says. As Jesus is talking, he says these words. He says, the harvest is plentiful, looking out at people in that moment. There was a large crowd. And he says, but the laborers or workers are few. He tells his disciples, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God's got a plan. He wants the whole world. (laughs) Amen. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The desire is there for none to perish, but to all have everlasting life. So this, this is an important thing for us to understand. And I really think that we have three main goals. You saw them when you came in the doors this morning. If you looked up above your head, you saw those words, love, impact, grow. We have three goals as a church that we want to pursue as a body of believers. We want you to be people who love everyone regardless of whatever it is that we could pick apart and say, "Ah, I don't like that so much. We want you to be a loving people. God wants you to be a loving people because he is love. And he says, my kids are going to look like me and they should act like me too. Sometimes when my kids act like me, they don't act like the right part of me. So I just say this as an encouragement to you. If you are, if you love God and have dedicated your life to him, then work hard purposefully to love all. And God will do something really funny. He'll give people to you that are hard to love because he wants you to practice. He's given me lots of them over my life. None of them are in this room, of course, but I'm just saying. So we, we talk about loving all because God's love transforms The second part of our vision and our understanding is that we're to impact our world. That's not talking, it's easy. Grant said, we give to missions. We, We give to We Will Go. We give to the Center for Pregnancy Choices here in Jackson. We do lots of stuff, local and global. But here's the easy thing. The easy thing is for me to take out 10 bucks and drop it in so somebody else does that work. But the idea for us should be that we've got to impact our world. Like the world that you have that I don't yet have or I will never have. I don't work where you work. So that's, that's your mission field. It's your ground for you to cover and to impact for the kingdom's sake because I believe God really means what he says when he says he wants us to be the light of the world. And then the next thing is to grow together. We grow together in strength and in number. That's a good thing. And we do that through small groups and other activities that we have. We want to seek to do that. But as your pastor, I've got to tell you, I think we've nailed down the love and we've nailed down the grow. I'm hoping that you're growing individually, reading your Bible. I hope this is not your buffet uh, for the week to last you. I hope that you are reading your Bible for yourself, spending time with God. But I think the area that all of us, even myself included, could improve would be the area of impacting our world. So a good question for each one of us to consider is this, what role am I playing in the harvest? Am I playing a role? (laughs) If I'm not playing a role, maybe I should dust off the sickle that's been given to me and I should start working on it. And here's the thing. I'm jumping ahead in my notes, but I'm going to tell you the thing because sickle sounds just ethereal, like some sort of thing that you, oh, what is this? What do I do to harvest people? Here are the two tools God gave you. God gave you his word and yours. He gave you his word 
to share with others, and he gave you your words, your mouth, your life story, your testimony to share. We don't have to stand on a street corner, God bless those who do, and say, confess your sins, believe in Jesus Christ, and he will be your Lord and Savior. What I need to do is I need to have my light shining 24-7 so that when God gives me an opportunity, wherever I am, in whatever area I find myself, to be able to say, wow, you know what? God actually did something for me in that area of my life about five years ago. And here's, here's what it meant to me when God changed this area of my life. That's what it's about because then that spreads light and it spreads hope into those people. So one last thing I want to point out about the feast of first fruits that we're talking about right now. The feast of Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, and the feast of first fruits all occur in the month of Nisan. Not Nisan like the car. <laughs> okay, Nisan, one S, Okay. So it, it, they happen in this month. And the first fruits occurs, you see it on your, your screen, it occurs on the 17th day of Nisan. Nisan, sorry. It occurs on the 17th, I've been practicing all week, but I still can't get it right. I'm tempted to say Nisan. So the 17th day of the month. If you're looking at your screen, you can see Noah is listed there. The reason why he's listed there is because in the biblical record that we have, the floodwaters receded and they found themselves on dry ground on the 17th day of Nisan. The same thing is true. Theologians believe that in the Exodus, they walked through the Red Sea to their deliverance to head towards the promised land. In on the 17th day of Nisan, the same exact day. In the wilderness, the people of God were fed by manna and by quail. That stopped one day on the 16th of Nisan, and on the 17th of Nisan, they began making their own crops and doing their own thing. God stopped the day before this, and they actually started fulfilling their own livelihood because they had made it to a place where they could grow their crops. And Esther, something incredible about Esther, in that book, we read about an evil man named Haman. Haman is so evil, he's filled with evil, and he's determined to exterminate the Jewish people. He's determined so much that he speaks to the, the king and he convinces him to sign a decree to destroy those people. And you could read that story throughout the book of Esther, but specifically in chapter three. So the decree goes out on the 13th day of Nisan. Esther then, she declares a fast, a three-day fast, the 14th, 15th, and 16th. And listen, let me just stop for a second and tell you. I'm headed somewhere, but I'm not some biblical numerologist. I don't see significance in every number in the Bible. I don't think you should start having a special day of worship on the 17th of every month. I'm just telling you, God's got a calendar of appointments, and he's been keeping them. So the same thing is true in the book of Esther. She proclaims that fast. They break the fast on the 17th day, and she says these words to the king herself, if I perish, I perish, which is an attitude of death or resurrection, if you look at it like that. It's all in God's hands. Whatever will be, will be. And on the 17th day of Nisan, the tables were turned, and Haman himself is the guy who goes before them to get hung. And the Jewish people are saved and delivered again. Deliverance, 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 deliverance. So God has a calendar, and he's keeping it 
Our God always wins. You got to hear me today. Let your spirit hear me, but let your ears on your body hear this too. He is never late. He might not be on your clock and your timing, and he might not have come through, but that is not a reason to be disappointed in the character of God because he is who he says he is, and he does what he says he'll do. Amen? So stay faithful in the waiting. Some of you have been so disappointed. Your pastor has been so disappointed. Because I've not known what God's clock was at certain points in my life. And I really thought I knew how to tell him to do better. You've probably been guilty of the same thing. Stay faithful in the waiting. God always sees his kids to the finish line. He's never been defeated and he doesn't want his kids defeated either. So we've got to understand that we've got to trust God. He will always see us through. All right, so the reason why I say all of that is because this is the day of first fruits. It's the same day that they would have taken and celebrated first fruits. And we can understand there's even scholars that believe that Jesus was resurrected on this exact day. So the Jewish people would have been looking back towards this and hearing all the stories all throughout the years of, wait a second, Noah and the Exodus and the wilderness, the the manna stopped the day before, and then they started providing for themselves through God's powerful hand. And then Esther and the people were saved. These are stories of legend that lived on and on in the hearts of the Jewish people. And then to now know that Jesus Jesus is the first fruits is just, it's mind blowing. I was reading in first Corinthians and actually in Romans, uh, more so in Romans this week. And I was reading in there about Paul talking about going to the Gentiles. And he basically, he says this interesting phrase. He says that God has opened up the door for the Gentiles to come in. And so that as they basically worship God and come to him, they make the Jewish people jealous I don't know if we've done that just yet because there are many Jews that have not accepted Jesus as their Messiah, but we are praying that they would accept him. How tragic it would be for Jews who who die, who have never come to understand the significance that the fulfillment has already been there. So we've got a world to win, amen? All right, now let's look at the Feast of Weeks. Verse 15 to 17. Verse 15 says this, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. Verse 17 says this, you shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved made of two-tenths of an ephah. That's a measurement that they used. They shall be a fine flour and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. So think about this. The feast of first fruits, the priest is taking a giant sheaf and he's waving it before the Lord and offering it as a sacrifice to him. Now at the end of their harvest, 50 days has happened. They've had seven full weeks and they get to that moment and now they've created a finished product, something that includes leaven, and now they've brought the bread that's been baked and waved it before the Lord. So here's, here's what I take away from this. They honored God at the start and they honored him at the end of the harvest. What they were doing was they bookended their life with thanksgiving. Lord, it hasn't turned out 
exactly like I dreamed it would, but I'm still grateful. Lord, there were moments of darkness and despair, but you brought me through. You are so faithful. I'm so thankful. That's, they bookended their harvest with this thanksgiving. So they honored the Lord regardless of their temporary circumstance. And if they were wise, they knew that even though this harvest is over and maybe it was really poor this year, next year there's hope for another harvest to come. There's more rain that will come. So authentic joy could be their possession. It could really be in their heart even if they experienced loss or pain or devastation because they had hope and faith and belief. I love what Job says, and Job is a character. Man, ooh, what a sad book. That's a tough one to get through. Job is a character, and when he's experienced all that loss, all that pain, all that grief, he begins to do this. Now, this is a side note for you. He begins to have a dialogue, that means two-way, conversation with God himself. That's what prayer is to be. If you feel like it's just a monologue of you telling God what you need from him, maybe you ought to shut up and start listening and see what he wants from you. That was better than I heard an amen for. But I'm telling you, I really believe this. And Job is having a conversation, a two-way conversation between he and God. And God's a little salty. God's like, you know, Job, were you there when I created the earth? Because I'm telling you, uh, I'm powerful. And he's, he's going through all these things. That's my paraphrase. But Job says something amazing. He says, in Job chapter 19, he says, regardless of all of this stuff I've suffered, I know that my Redeemer lives. He, he has a hope inside of his soul. He even goes on to say something really interesting, talking about resurrection. He says, even when my flesh is gone and totally fa- like failed and rotted, I will stand in his presence and worship him. Because Job had this forward sight looking forward. So we've got to know that our Redeemer lives. The Feast of Weeks has a Greek term that we use, and you've heard it before, and that is the word Pentecost. It really means 50, okay? It's easy, okay? I can't do my hands right, but five zero if I'm backwards, whatever. Uh, 50. But I want to tell you something this morning. I want to help you understand, because that's my job, according to Ephesians chapter 4, is to equip you for the work of the ministry, Pentecost, that word gets a bad rap around here. It gets a bad rap in the South. So I'm going to help you understand. Pentecost does not mean hair in a bun, floor length dress, no jewelry, no makeup. That might be a cultural understanding of a, do I, I hear some college students giggling, going, praise God, we're not. No, I'm just kidding. But here's the deal. We have this understanding that that, it means something on the outward because we've heard of people doing that. Now, I really believe that there are well-intentioned people who truly love God in those types of churches. But I also think that they dance dangerously close to something that we would call legalism or being hyper-religious because what they do is they elevate something like the outward appearance instead of us focusing on the inward. And when you get those things flip-flopped, something really bad happens. The human flesh gets exalted and the Holy Spirit leaves the joint. So having said that, my grandmother was raised Church of God and I can remember her 
I was this big. I can remember coming to church service with her when I was a little boy and she would dance till all her bobby pins had come out of that bun and her hair was just a waving up there in the front. She was worshiping God with all her heart and all her might. And I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, she was Pentecostal regardless of a bun or not. But here the idea is, I want you to understand because I don't even use this word around here because people are like, oh, you're Oh, you're Pentecostal. We use spirit empowered. We got to flip flop the language because people misunderstand and think that it's a characterization of something that it's not. But I'm here to tell you, Celebrate Church is a full gospel, Pentecostal in the biblical sense of the word, church that loves Jesus. Amen. We believe in the current move and work of the Holy Spirit. I don't mean to insult anybody's intelligence, but here's my thought. Okay. And I had this this week. It's fully developed. God was with us in the beginning. He was with them all the way through. Jesus came and was with us. And when Jesus left, he brought the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, he was with his disciples for 40 days. The Passover lasted seven. They're now a day away, essentially, after looking at all the calendar stuff, Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes because God didn't want you to be alone. He doesn't want you to be alone. He, I don't want him to leave me alone. Sometimes he bothers me, but I don't want him to leave me alone. You hear me. You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Some of those things that he says to you might not be the stuff you want to hear. But your pastor believes and teaches that God's word demonstrates there is a secondary experience after salvation that's available to all believers. It's called being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not weird. He's not weird. People are weird, and they have done a lot of stuff and given God a bad rap. People can be really weird. I've met some of them. They're not here today, praise God. But I'm telling you, we believe in the Holy Spirit's empowerment today. Why would God want to leave us alone? He loves you. In two weeks, I'll be starting a message. Next week will be the last of the Leviticus series. And then in two weeks, I'll be starting a message series on the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, you will not want to miss it. If you miss it, listen to the podcast online or something. I'm telling you, it's something that will open up your mind and understanding of who the Holy Spirit truly is and what his purpose is and what our response should be. So the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost is extremely significant because the early Christians were baptized in the Holy Spirit on that day. Some miraculous things happened, but it's also the day that the church was born. You got to understand we weren't Christians technically until the Holy Spirit came. There were Christ followers who believed in Jesus' death and resurrection, but they were Jewish people. So then now all of a sudden in the book of Acts, you can read Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two, which really kind of give you a full picture. Everybody's in the city of Jerusalem and they're all there for Passover and for other uh, events and meeting with family and all this stuff. And then it says on the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out, people from all of those regions heard the word of God spoken in their language. God did something powerful and it wasn't to show off. It was to show out something amazing and to put it in the heart of every believer and to have us be those who have a desire to be part of the harvest. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He wants to help us to be part of the harvest. So verse 17 of chapter 23 says that the bread should be baked with leaven. 
there's another layer to the idea of this leaven. You heard me say a few weeks ago that leaven often, not always, but often is spoke of with a negative connotation in scripture. If we were to use a negative connotation or a negative understanding of something today and say something is evil, we would say it's like a cancer. It, it infects every cell. It, it travels. Their understanding was leaven because they could take a little smidge, just a teaspoon worth, put it in a giant bowl of dough and the whole thing would rise because it would invade every area. Jesus actually calls the kingdom of God or says the kingdom of God is like leaven. That's what he wants you to do. <laughs> he wants you to infect somebody else and to get other people into the family and into the kingdom. So there, there's that understanding that Jesus says, but scholars believe that the leaven here that's represented as we understand it in the fulfillment of Jesus is that leaven represents the Gentiles being mixed in to the dough of the Jews and that finished product being offered to the Lord. In fact, Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 11. In verse 16, he's talking about us being grafted in to the family using the idea or imagery of a tree, grafting in another plant to that tree. Then he also says this in verse 16, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. So he's, he's talking to Jewish people in a moment in that section and he's saying, I want you to accept the fact that there are other people who are never Jews and will not become Jews, but they love Jesus and they believe in him. They're going to be part of the family too. And he uses this understanding in Romans chapter 11. So Leviticus 23 says or shows us that the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost as we know it has an already but not yet aspect to it. We talked about that. It's something that we look forward to but hasn't yet fully been realized. The whole church has not fully experienced Pentecost around the world. We still, we're looking for that day. We need the Holy Spirit's influence in our life. If you've ever thought a bad thought, you need the Holy Spirit's influence in your life, right? So we, we have this already happening but still needs to continue happening until the day that we are with him. Here's my final thought, and that is this, that the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks that we talk about, was a celebration of the harvest. With the Holy Spirit being our partner, we can be part of the harvest. I really, really believe that we are to ask ourselves, if you're a believer today, if you're a Christian, I'm gonna give you an opportunity today to, to commit your life to Christ if you're not a believer. And we'll do that in just a moment. But I'm telling the majority of people here who are believers, I'm telling you, we should ask ourselves this question. You should do some heart inventory this morning. This isn't your pastor trying to guilt you. I'm trying to help you understand that Jesus wants us to be about our father's business. And we, we should be sharing our light and our love, leading other people to the place of understanding who Christ is not being a silent witness in this world, but using the tools that God has given us necessary for this harvest, which are the word of God and the life story of what God's done in you. I love what else happens in Revelation. And it's interesting how you can track all the way through Leviticus and into Revelation. And I, I love the idea that's presented there. It says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, which is Jesus Christ himself, and by the word of their testimony. 
by their faith expressed in word. So I'm not sure what the Holy Spirit might have spoken to each one of you, but I believe he's spoken something to each one of us today. I wanna ask you to stand. I'll tell you, if you're a guest with us today, we do this part of our service, it's the close of our service. And what I do is I I wanna ask you to respond. You can stay right in your seat to respond, but I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to think this or even whisper this prayer out loud and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And believe that God who spoke, (laughs) who spoke the world into existence, he still speaks today and he uses that voice to speak to our hearts. So maybe there's a role that you need to be playing in the harvest, or maybe you've been lax about it and haven't been sharing your faith. Sharing your faith doesn't involve wearing a Christian-themed T-shirt. Sharing your faith involves us shining the light of God into somebody else's life so that they can experience that same hope. So I want you to think about that for just a moment. But while eyes are closed, I do wanna ask if there's anybody here who says, you know what, pastor, I haven't given my life to the Lord. I I haven't been living for him. I would like to do that today. Raise your hand wherever you are. We'll make this quick work. If anybody here needs that, I wanna give you the opportunity of that today. We'll give you some instructions after the service of how you can grow in your faith. But if there's anybody here who would say, I want to become a believer today, lift your hand. Okay, with no hands lifted, I believe that everybody here is a believer. So I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to speak to me and tell me what I need to be doing as part of this harvest as well. If you're here today and you say, you know what, pastor, the sermon was great, but I really came in because I'm fighting with my husband and we're on the edge of arguments all the time and we're facing a divorce or my kids are rebellious or my boss is a jerk and I just need somebody to pray with me. Pastor Grant's gonna meet you at that prayer station right over there against that wall and I'll be over here. If you need prayer for any reason, we wanna pray for you. The worship team's gonna sing this last song and then we'll be done. We'll close in prayer.